dive deep into the realm of large language models, prompt engineering, and best practices. With over 25 years of combined AI and product engineering experience, here are your hosts, Bradley Arsenault and Justin Macarin. Hello, Brad. Hey, Justin. Brad, when, when we first started these podcasts, we first began talking about source code generation. I think it was like maybe our, our third or fourth podcast. We talked about how to generate source code. Really the first step there. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I believe in the episode, we were really just talking about like, if I can summarize the importance of like context to the model, having the data schemas nicely defined when you ask it to generate a function, having like the inputs to that function very clear. And of course, those schemas can also be generated, but it's, it's just like for each step in the process needs to have the right information as a context. And uh, tests also can serve as like excellent feed context. The tests themselves can also be generated. Generate the test, then uh, generate some code. And I guess t uh, I thought it would be great if we just continue what we were talking about and, and w what is the next step. So one is, is setting up the, the, the schemas and, and tests and context and, and wh what comes next. Yeah, so so I think that that summary makes a lot of sense, right? So so we got the schemas for for the functions, we had the tests for the functions, and now the next step is really to generate the function, right? And I guess when we use ChatGPT, and I'm not sure if if you do the same thing, but what I do is I give it a lot of context. I I'll copy paste like you know a bunch of lines from existing source code, and yep, I'll say, yep. hey, ChatGPT, generate a function based off of this. Do you, do you do the same thing? Yep. Yep. Frequently I'll like, I'll, I'll copy in a couple schemas. I'll, I'll be like, yo, use this existing test as an example and just like uh, change it in this way or ch uh, check for this new condition. Like I, I have to be very specific to get the result I want, but if, if you are, you, you get a decent uh, code generated. So I guess that kind of highlights the importance of providing these large language models with examples with pre-existing examples so that it knows yeah. the libraries you're using, the database, you know, ORM you're using, the yep. variable naming convention you're using, all of mm -hmm. these little things that you may not have perfectly well-defined in the test or in the schema itself. So basically the goal is to take that context and give it to the large language model in an automated way. And, and basically figuring out the best way to do that. And I think that would be a really, really interesting thing to talk about. So what you're saying is that what I currently do together now, copying and pasting and like hacking together a custom prompt to like get the code generated I want. You're saying we can do better than that? I mean, well, yeah, I hope so. <laughs> I, I think so. And I think that that for the time being, you know, copy pasting large chunks of text and putting in chat GPT is definitely helpful and it's going to help us move forward. Um, but I think that in the future, it's definitely not, not the approach that AI systems are going to take, right? Yeah, yeah. That. But here's the problem, Justin, is the context window we can't just like source code gets pretty long it's like l longer than any essay i've ever written in my entire life source code is extremely long it detailed very large documents how, how do we in an automated way 
tell the 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 the, the model uh, provide the right context you know like what are you getting at here yeah so i don't know about you but from from when when i generate source code automatically i find that gpt starts to have issues modifying a function that's larger than say a hundred lines of code and maybe you say just oh yeah what the heck are you doing creating functions on a hundred lines of code and and maybe my answer to you is i don't know but i'm seeing that gpt has issues you know generating functions over 100 lines of code which means that there's a possibility that the complexity should really be limited and to limit the context that we give a large language model we can't just be giving it an entire source code file because like you say these yeah. files are really big right and not every database schema in our entire system we don't want to just willy-nilly throw them all in there yeah that's that's right so so i guess how the the question becomes how do we provide the large language model with curated examples of existing functions that work and this is an interesting hmm. thing because each okay. language that exists today have certain methods or functions or functionalities that are embedded in the language that allow us to print out the function just like we would be able to call it. So in Python, if we, you know, write a function, def hello world, um, that has maybe an attribute name and we basically print out hello name, we could call that function or we could also print it. And, and in Python, we have this inspect module that can actually print mm. out the text of the function. And in JavaScript, we have the same thing. And, and, and so let's say we have, you know, a, a hello world function, function hello world that has an attribute name. we we'll basically yeah. print or console.log out, you know, hello name. We have the two string function that that basically allows us to convert functions to strings so now problem number one is kind of solved with these functions i see i see so i want to dive a little further into what you're suggesting here are you suggesting that at runtime we kind of use this inspect module to dynamically analyze the types uh, of different uh, functions in that file, uh, the data going in and out of them, and then generate a function at runtime, or, or that we feed that information back into our editor to like generate, or or it's happening inside the editor all automatically behind the scenes. Like, what what are you suggesting that that how this technique works? I think that this is very similar to how like current test suites work, right? So we have Jest, we have hmm. PyTest, we have, you know, Playwright. And to test out existing functions, we always, you know, close the existing application or maybe even run it. And we run those tests and the test framework imports libraries, it imports the modules you need, it runs the tests and we see the results. I think that this is not like, I think it must run at runtime because we need to print out the functions, but I don't think that it's like running as part of the application. I think that these are going to be like helper functions that kind of help us generate, 
you know, the next function. And I think that that is makes sense from like an incremental improvement um, to to just good source code generation, right? So, so yeah. it's it's like dy dynamically, like you know, self modifying code, right? No, you're kind I of self modifying code. <laughs> What's self modifying? <laughs> All right. Well, okay. Well, it's a technique used by a lot of viruses and hackers. I thought you were a security guy. It's like self-modifying oh, okay, code. It's okay, like okay, all right, that's all how right, they invade right. the viruses. All right. But it. like, I, I think, I think what you're suggesting is like a feedback loop that it's not quite the same as self-modifying code, but like the code executes, some actions are performed, and we get to a function that's empty, and the whole thing is frozen in time, and it like gets like the current state. Oh, here's some data. Blah blah blah. And then go we it that kind of spits out like an output file. The editor takes it in, modifies the code, and then reruns the program. And it's like the program runs, a different AI is like playing with it. Then it gets to the next function that's like not hasn't been written yet. Everything freezes, it generates some code. Like, could the function could a whole piece of program just build itself that way? Yeah, I, I... I think that that we're heading in that direction. I think though that it would be interesting just to like focus on one function at a time, right? Like like just let's <laughs> get, like, one function at a time. Write a good test. Write a good function. And I think that to write that really good function, if we're able to, you know, extract functions from existing source code from an existing file, right? We know the description of what we're trying to generate. So let's say we want to generate a new function. Let's say we want to generate a new rate, a new yeah. flask rate, right? That, I don't know, um, updates some row in the database. What we would do is we would describe that, you know, create a flask route that generates, um, you know, code to update a row in the database, taking these parameters, you know, output this, you know, JSON object. Okay. And what we would do is we'd possibly get those pre-existing functions that are text, possibly vectorize them or send them off to an LLM and basically ask that LLM or ask that vector which functions are most closely related to what we're trying to do. And now what we're doing mm. is asking a large language model or, or or we're doing this vector similarity to try to find the most relevant functions the most relevant contextual information to pass as context to a large language model right yeah to assist with the writing of that function along with the schema and test that we mentioned you know earlier in the podcast so i mean it's it's uh in in a sense, what you hope to be able to do is just like say some requirements and you've got a reg solution that goes through the code base to pull out the relevant snippets, pull out some examples of similar functions, the relevant classes, the relevant libraries, here's their header files, blah, 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 pop together this nice fat prompt with all the correct information and then have it generate the function based on all of that. I think that the sound effect you used to is really good. La, la, la. <laughs> exactly what an AI would do. That's what a model sounds like, right? When <laughs> generating source code. Yeah, no, that's right. Exactly. So that's an interesting concept because I didn't think about that. It is a rank based system, right? So, yeah. so we're retrieving 
cont highly contextual information from our existing code base, passing it into a large language model, and hopefully it returns something with with enough context and enough understanding that can be injected in the code, gets the test to run, works with the schema. I feel like how we build those embedding vectors, though, is is really key. Like those, they have to be really purpose built. I I I feel I don't think you could just take an average, you know, linguistic uh, English vector and apply it there. Yeah, I uh, to be honest with you, this is not something that the, the, that I've tested out, and and I think that there would be two different methods of doing this, right? The the first okay. method is using a vector approach to find highly contextual functions that are already existing in code. The other approach is basically to use some sort of large language model to say, hey, you know, I have function A, B, C, D, E, F, G, or one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Based off of these functions, give me the two or three functions that are most relevant to what I'm trying to do now. And now instead of the large language model generating code, it's basically outputting the number or, you know, function name that you would then use in the second function or in, in the second prompt to generate mm. that, that highly contextual piece of, of data. Yeah. So I think that there's still a lot of like testing that would need to happen. But I think that that from a conceptual perspective, that's a kind of a good step in the right direction. Um, and in addition to that, you know, well, because in our first podcast, we, we already talked about generating the test, right? Yeah. So now we're getting the function from the large language model. We already have yep. the test, which means that we could actually run the function that was generated with the test, see it fail, yeah. see it pass, get the log, get any kind yes. of order that happens. Yes, the stack trace. Sort of, exactly. Do some sort of stack trace loop, right? So you do it once, you do it twice, you do it three times, and maybe from a practical perspective, you only want to limit it to two or three times. And, 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 and if it wasn't successful, you know, on, on the second or third one, then maybe a human comes in and kind of figures it out themselves, um, or maybe so helps. I'm imagining this just like spinning icon going and going. And it's like 20, 25 seconds, 30 seconds. You see the editor running code is yep. spinning out. Tests are running, tests are running. And then it's just like sad face. Mrum, mrum. I can't figure it out. <laughs> I need you, human. <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. And and I guess that's where the human comes in the loop. Does, yeah. does, does, does that make sense? Like, I know that this is still kind of like a... a, a I think it does make sense. And like, it's certainly not what I'm getting out of GitHub Copilot at this time. It's it's supposedly supposed to do the reg, but like it, it where yeah. it, and I've seen it do it a couple times. It'll be like, oh, I pulled in this other source code file and I'm like, damn right you did. But like most of the time it just doesn't. And also it's not doing this, this feedback loop of running the tests and like, it's not doing test driven development and like red, green refactor loops that, that you're proposing here. Um, so that's the, I think the next step of where to go with these tools. I do too. And I think that, you know, while GitHub Copilot and potentially other AI based, you know, code helpers or code assistants are definitely helpful. I think that every code base is going to be unique and it's going to have its own challenges and it's going to have its yeah. own kind of quirks and, 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 and special use cases and, and exceptions. 
And I think that a big part of this source code generation is to encapsulate those exceptions and encapsulate, you know, those, those details to make sure that, that the functions that are generated are, are in line with those exceptions and, and. So, uh, so like you can basically like fine tune a model on your own code base. Like, and if you're experiencing the, the AI makes the same mistake a bunch of times because of like this weird bespoke way that you wrote your specific code. Right. Uh, you fine tune it, and now it's getting the the right code for you, reliably. I think so. I feel well, I think so, and and that's pretty much all I I got for you today. Um, hopefully, you know, we moved a little forward in this whole source code generation space. I think it was interesting. Step step one was setting up the right context, the schemas, and and generating the tests as well. Now step two spitting at the function, using a feedback loop to get the function right. Um, I can't wait to talk about step three with you in the next episode that we do on this. Looking forward to it, Brad. Have a good one. You as well, Justin. Thank you for joining us. If you've enjoyed today's episode, hit subscribe and stay updated on our latest content. We appreciate your support.